Hello everyone, welcome back to the Bundesliga show brought to you by Over the Bar. Uh, back uh, again live on a Monday night. Um, no guests this time before, because there's so much to get through, uh, me and Mark, because there's been so much happening. That we just need to have a real in-depth conversation about all the things that have been going on. Um, but yeah, it's good to be back live on a Monday night. So I hope everyone is well uh, and is keeping safe from the various COVID uh, variants that are running a mock, uh, unfortunately, again. Um, so I've seen a lot of Bundesliga games behind closed doors as well. So that's a big shame. Uh, Mark, you're back. Um, how are you? You doing well? Yeah, it's all good apart from the carnage that's going on with COVID and stuff, you know. But I mean, yeah, it, it, it's all good, really. But it's just, you know, let's just hope that the, the authorities can try and sort at least something out in the next few weeks, you know. Let's hope so. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're, we're back obviously this evening, Match Day 14 review. Um, so obviously exactly the same structure of the show, but there's going to be an OTB's featured five. Um, the games were literally so good uh, this weekend that it was it was so hard to choose between them, to be honest. So we've gone with five games. There are lots of honourable mentions to many of the games that we won't cover. And we've got a talking point to cover, um, which is pretty topical because it's uh, quite recent news. So... Uh, obviously, without further delay, let's just get into the show. Uh, obviously, before we do uh, the season, we are, of course, in partnership with Bundesliga Boxes. Uh, I'm sporting one of the many scarves that I've got um, from those um, brilliant boxes. So they're an authentic mystery uh, German football T-shirt provider. Uh, so you can follow them uh, or find them on Twitter or indeed find them on their website. Um, probably a bit too late to get your Christmas orders in now, but who knows, you might get lucky. So just go check them out and see if you can get yourself some brilliant merchandise. Um, and of course, if you like this show, this this video in particular, drop us a like, uh, get involved in the comments, whether it's live now. Uh, if you're on Twitter, jump across and, and say hello on, on YouTube. We welcome lots of people coming in. See if you agree with some of our thoughts and feelings this evening. And if you've not already subscribed, please do so. Uh, helps us out a lot and means that you don't miss out on any of the action. So over to you, Mark. Let's go through the scores uh, of the nine amazing games and then let's get into the Over the Bars featured five. Yeah, I mean, we all thought it couldn't get any better than last week. You know, I mean, I, I was saying to Rory that last week uh, was one of the best Bundesliga weeks I could remember. But I think this week topped it. I mean, I think... Pretty much everyone would agree with that, really. I mean, this has been an amazing week. Let's have a look at what happened. So we started off on Friday with a, a bit of a giant killing, really, with Union Berlin beating RB Leipzig 2-1. Then, yeah, moving on to Saturday, I mean, 7-1. It's not getting any better for Furt, is it? They were battered 7-1 by on-form Leverkusen. Hoffenheim continued their great form with a 3-2 win over fellow in-form side Frankfurt. Mainz bounced back from their defeat at Stuttgart with a 3-0 hammering of now-faltering Wolfsburg. Bochum kept up their great form. You know, they're up into mid-table now with a 3-2 win away in Augsburg. Bielefeld, yeah, getting a, a relatively rare point, I guess, with a one-all draw against Köln. Then, yeah, it was De Classica one, and it, as usual, it didn't disappoint ending in a 3-2 win for Bayern Munich in Dortmund. Then, yeah, moving on to Sunday, and it didn't get any worse, did it? Stuttgart played out a very entertaining 2 all draw with um, Hertha Berlin, obviously, who are now under new management, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. And then the last game was just an absolute crazy fest, wasn't it? 6-0 for, for Freiburg in Gladbach. I mean, what a crazy game that was, you know. I mean, I think I tipped Gladbach to win that game, so it proves what I know, really, you know. <laughs> yeah, but what a weekend of football, yeah. We've actually, as a result of there being so many good games this weekend, we thought it was impossible to choose just five, four. So we had to increase it to OTB's featured five this week. And to be honest with you, we could easily have picked 10. We could have picked six or seven of the fixtures this, mm -hmm. this weekend easily. I mean, we all, we missed some other good games off as well. Yeah, but I mean, where better place to start? We're going to start with um, Stuttgart's high-scoring two-all draw with Hertha Berlin. Yeah, I mean, 
this game, it started off brilliantly, didn't it, for Stuttgart? I mean, they absolutely flew out of the blocks in this game with Mamouche. Uh, it was a crazy situation, really, because, I mean, all of Hertha's players were in the Stuttgart half, which is pretty crazy after, like, 10 minutes of the game, you know. But literally, all of Hertha's players are in the half, and Mamouche sees it. He makes the early run. He's still probably two, three metres inside of his own half by the time he receives the ball through on goal. And, you know, we, we have seen signs that he's going to be a quality player, Mamouche, and he showed a lot of quality by comfortably slotting the ball past uh, Shvalov in the Etabelling mm-hmm. goal. That was 1-0. And you're just thinking, you know, um, obviously Stuttgart improved from last week's win over Mainz, which was a bit of a backs-to-the-wall effort, but they started this game really, really fast. And they were rewarded again when uh, Philip Furster went for a really, really good run, dribbled past a few lethargic Hertha Berlin defenders and just smashed a really, really nice shot. A kind of dipping shot on the run past uh, Shvalov, had no chance. And they're already 2-0 up inside 20 minutes, Rory. And you're just thinking at that point, probably as a Stuttgart fan, you're thinking, you know, back-to-back wins, we're on a great run again. But what happened after that, uh, Rory? Yeah, we were pegged back. Um, one, obviously, one player that came came to the show was was Stefan Jovetic. Um, obviously, a player of of real quality, and he was probably one of the few signings that Herta made in the summer that I thought was a good one. But it was all about if he can stay fit because I know he's had quite a lot of injury uh, injuries in the past. And yeah, his quality uh, alongside I thought Bedford Deal played quite well for Herta. Um, and they they combined really well. So um, Herta did have a, a goal disallowed before Jovetic basically kind of did the same thing. Uh, thing. Bedford Hill kind of mazed his way through and, and scored a really good goal, but it was, it was given as offside in the build-up by VAR. So Stuttgart as a team got away with it to start with, but the, it was re- exactly rinse and repeat uh, as Jovetic went through a couple of easy challenges, really, and then curled a beautiful shot. Uh, beyond Muller into the net and obviously that's 2-1 uh, just before half time so obviously if Stuttgart managed to go in at 2-0 then I think they would have managed the game a lot better and felt a bit more confident uh, and they're still quite uh, fragile as a team uh, they are starting to get players back now and you know they've got this kind of hybrid uh, formation that they play it's like on paper it's a a 3-3-2-2 which I mean like you don't even see that on FIFA it's, it's very kind of <laughs> It is very different, but, you know, Pellegrini Matarazzo loves that three at the back and the employees, Souza and whoever else on as a, again, as wing back, so to speak, but they help out a lot uh, in midfield. But unfortunately, they're just up against the man on a mission in, in the shape of Stefan Jovetic. So uh, in the second half, he had a really good free kick, which was um, incredibly well saved actually by Muller to keep it out, um, to keep it 2-1. But eventually... They succumbed and a bit of good layoff play by Bedford Hill led to Jovetic poking home to get the equaliser eventually. So that was 2-2 and Stuttgart were able to just about see it out in, uh, until the end. So, yeah, um, very entertaining game. Very disappointing from a Stuttgart point of view to lose a 2-0 lead after 20 minutes. I, I, yeah, I did think it would be... Um, plain sailing and you know it'd be a good win and, and they could really start to build on that um but now yeah it feels like a loss really as a fan and as a team Hertha will be absolutely buzzing first points under the interim man uh in charge as well so that'll please him um can they get Jovetic on the pitch and play constantly um he played well with Bedford Hill like I said um they still obviously got Piatek on the bench as well to use so if they can keep those three in and around the team they'll probably score a few more goals so encouraging uh that Hertha are able to get the point both teams obviously still in big trouble. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, you mentioned, you you kind of uh, talked over a little bit, Korkut as the new uh, Hertha Berlin interim manager. I mean, obviously, Pal Dardai was fired on Monday after their disappointing one-all draw with Augsburg, where they conceded like in about the 98th minute or something in that game. Uh, yeah, my, my personal opinion is I'm, I'm not really surprised that Dardai's gone, to be honest. I mean, obviously, he did a good effort keeping them up at the back end of last season. But overall, he, he didn't look to have the tactical nows from what I can see. And the other problem is with Dardai, he always seemed to be getting in conflicts with his players. And he just, I don't know, he was too emotional on the, the touchline at times, you know. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I don't think it's really 
about. I mean, obviously, the guy, he has a big association with the club, having managed them between 2015 and 2019, which is quite a long spell, really. But, I mean, yeah, yeah. A, a lot of that period was, like, kind of mediocrity, really. And I think in, he was originally sacked because the fans were a little bit tired of that mediocrity. But they, they brought in some more high-profile names, and it didn't really work out for them. Then, obviously, they come back to him to keep them in the division the end of last season. But I do believe it is time for them to you know, to move on to someone else. But, I mean, obviously, Korku brought in as a interim. I mean, he doesn't have the best record. I did look at his record and I thought, you know, is this a, another dodgy one? But I've got to be honest, um, he did, I thought he was good in this game. You know, I mean, he could easily have let his troops fall apart, really, after going 2-0 yeah. down early on. Yeah. But I thought after 2-0, they were really, really good in this game. And I thought the disallowed goal was very unlucky. I thought it was a bit of a joke, to be honest, that it was disallowed, really. But, I mean, then even then to show character, even after that disallowed goal and still get a point, I think, fair play to them. And this was their best performance probably in four or five weeks, I would say, in all honesty. And I think there's probably there's signs that both sides are going to be getting onto a better time. You know, I mean, for Stuttgart, it's four points in two games now. Mm -hmm. I mean, they will be disappointed they didn't get over the line in this game after being 2-0 up against a side that looked in disarray, really, at the time. But... I think all said and done, like both will be relatively happy with the points in this game. Okay, so moving on to game four, I mean, where better place to go? I mean, you can't believe this game's only coming coming in a fourth place, really, can you? It was this insane game on Sunday evening. Freiburg, you know, on the back of three defeats going into this game, we were just starting to think, you know, our Freiburg falling apart a little bit. They don't look the same side. But to be honest, they were very, very unlucky to lose at Bochum last week. And they look like an angry side going out there today uh, this, in the first 20 minutes. Well, first 20 minutes, first 37 minutes, really. All of the goals actually came within the first 37 minutes. So, I mean, they were clearly a wounded beast feeling like unlucky to lose at Bolton, which they were to uh, last week. But, I mean, what a game this was. I mean, it started off, obviously, the first goal was uh, Eggestein. I mean, it was just kind of poor defending, really, from the Gladbach troops they, start games slowly at times only he was that man kevin sharder from he's been one of the bright sparks one of the many bright sparks for freiburg this season but he put in a really really good cross from the byline cross to eggerstein the summer signing from Werder bremen who just like comfortably like side footed past uh summer then just a few minutes later within five minutes he already had the second this time it was fullback uh christian gunter who turned provider for sharder who actually is not really known for his heading ability, but he put a really, really good header in, like mm -hmm. unstoppable, really, from Sommer. I mean, it's already 2 0 after just 12, after five minutes. Then it gets even worse for the home side, you know, after 12 minutes. But this one is a really, really poor goal, in all honesty, to concede. I mean, it's just the free kick com coming in. The keeper, Sommer. I mean, probably one of the best goalkeepers in the Bundesliga, but he doesn't play well in this game. He kind of palms the ball out to Philip Leinhardt, who actually gets quite a lot of goals, really, doesn't he? And like he just kind of side-footed it in. I think a lot of the players expected it to get disallowed for maybe a foul on Sommer because nobody could understand why he would make such a poor mistake. But, yeah, I mean, he, the goal counted, and it's already 3-0 after 12 minutes. You can already see a few of the Gladbach fans, obviously in the reduced crowd, they're already like leaving at that point. You know, they're not happy. And then it just gets from bad to worse, doesn't it, Rory, really? Yeah, I think obviously one one clear um, area where, where Freiburg are obviously getting their goals were from dead ball situations. Um, so Grifo got a hat-trick of assists and was involved in pretty much five of them anyway. So, you know, quality, quality delivery is a, you know, a really important thing uh, at any level of football. And, you know, when when you have a team that's not very confident anyway and they don't have their system set up and, and there's a few errors from the keeper or, or the defenders, then that, that obviously ultimately can cause carnage. Wouldn't expect to see at this level of football, though, in terms of within 30 minutes or so. That that really was crazy to to see happen. Um, and Freiburg, you know, they just made the made the most of a good situation. They just latched onto it and that that's a real sign of the improvements that they've made as a team maybe in the last 12 months or less is the fact that they showed a real ruthless streak. And like, if you look at it on paper from the outside of the league, if you, you know a Gladbach name, you don't really know Freiburg as well. And you think, 
on paper you think that Gladbach would be the favourites for that game. But right now you can't say that the underdogs won because Freiburg are just a better team than Gladbach is. You know, it's, it is as simple as that, really. And, um, you know, they they were ruthless. And they got the game won and obviously nothing really happened in the second half to Gladbach's, well, fortune, I guess, because it could have been even more scary if Freiburg wanted more. I think Freiburg also realised that they can now rest players and just go again in the next game. Game was already won, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, really impressive. Um, they've got a great setup, uh, Freiburg, and they're getting goals from everywhere as well. So Leinhardt, Hoffler, Holler, uh, Schlotterbeck, um, defenders getting goals, Grifo providing assists. Um, I think Eggerstein uh, getting a goal is really important because I thought he was a really smart signing actually from Verda. Um, he's now starting to come good for them as well. Um, so. Yeah, all, all systems go over at Freiburg and they've they've recovered from not a wobble, but um they're now back in into the Champions League positions and they're looking really, really strong. Um and yeah, def- defensively, it's not not something we saw in this game because they didn't need to defend really because they had already won. But you know, they're so strong at the back, that's that's been a, a crucial part of um their season in club back. Uh, yeah, just a mess. Um, defensively, all over the shop. Um, yeah, Sommer didn't, didn't cover himself in glory in, in many of the um, involvements of goals. I mean, ne- next head on the chopping block has got to be, you know, got to be that man, Adi Huta. Um, You know, is he going to keep his job? Apparently he is, um, certainly for now. Um, yeah, it, it's just a bit of a bit of a mess, unfortunately. Glad back and. Refer back to what um, one of our guests um, said last last week, actually, and brilliant Travis uh, from BFB Stuttgart Americana said that he was not really sure that Gladbach had recovered since Marco Rosa left and the debacle around that. And, I mean, he's got a very good point because right now they've shipped 10 goals in two games and they need to improve drastically. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the thing with them is that it must be a bit awkward if you're in the position of the uh, the Gladbach board because sometimes when they play against a better team, well, I say the better teams, like the more, the bigger names, let's just mm. say. Okay? Yeah. Like they, they turn up for those games, you know. I mean, obviously, it was only a month or so ago they were battering Bayern Munich 5-0 in the Cup. Yeah, yeah, true. Like, let's not forget that one. They also turned Dortmund over comfortably as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it was only 1-0, but they, they could have won that game easy. And they also got a draw against Bayern on the opening day and they were unlucky not to win that one too you know so and I think they won at Wolfsburg they've had a lot of good wins against sides that you'd expect to be up there in the table but I mean I just don't know what happens to them against uh, I mean obviously Freiburg are they're they're third in the the fourth in the table for no reason for for a reason uh, Freiburg you know I mean this was always going to be a hard game for Gladbach on paper and in reality you know but I mean, it must be hard for them because they must be thinking, well, we can play so well against Bayern or Dortmund, but what happens to us against uh, your Freiburgs and your Union Berlins and the like, you know, because they just don't do enough in those kind of games. And it's like, there clearly is a good squad there at Gladbach, but it's just, it seems to be one of those teams kind of similar to Hertha in some ways where you just don't know what direction they've got really at the club. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. what are they aiming for? Are they aiming for a mid-table finish, a European finish? It's just like... I don't know at times. And guys like Turam have also got to take a long, hard look at themselves at the minute. Yeah. Because it's not been like, imagine how good he was uh, the season before in the first half of last season. You know, I mean, what's happened to him that in 2021 has been a catastrophic year for, for Turam, that's for sure. You know, I mean, he was being linked with PSG and Juventus at one time, you know, and now he can barely get on Gladbach's team. Let's be honest. So, I mean, Guys like him have got to be taking a long, hard look at themselves, really, because it's just not been good enough since Adi Hooter came in, and that's for, for sure. Okay, yeah. Right, let's um, let's just quickly field a couple of questions that have come in before we go on to games three, two and one, because um, these games may or may not feature. So first from Gary, um, obviously, good evening, Gary. Hope you're doing well. He has asked... Do you feel the 1-1 draw for Bielefeld versus Colton is a good point or a missed opportunity? I really worry for Bielefeld this season. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll throw that over to you, Mark. Good point or a missed opportunity? Yeah, I think you probably have to say a missed opportunity, really. I think Cologne are a good team, but they are one of the teams that teams like Bielefeld have to be beaten at home, really, if they want to stay up, especially in the position they're in. 
because you know before kickoff they were four points adrift. Now they're only three points adrift, which we'll come to more a bit later. But it's still not a good position to be in, you know, really to be adrift at the bottom. I mean, in one context, yeah, point is good because it means that they're no longer they're within one result of safety again now, technically, mm. you know. Well, or at least within that third bottom place, which is like uh, the playoff, you know. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, I mean, how many games really have they got a chance of winning this season, Bielefeld? You know, and I mean, at the end of the day, Köln do blow hot and cold a little bit, and like. Yeah, I think it's. I would. I would probably err more on the side that they needed to win this game. Really, to be honest, I think they've only yeah. won one game out of fourteen, and you need to get wins from somewhere. You know. Yeah, I agree in terms of the timing of things. Obviously, the wins need to come soon. But I actually thought it was quite a good point for them, and um, especially going one down. I think they showed a lot of heart and, and fire, which they always do. Um, you know, Fabian Close could have had a, a good, a, well, at least a couple of goals. Um, the man, the man who got their equaliser, took his chance very well. But um, apologies if I've misplaced his name, Brian Lasmi, um, and he he's only their fifth goal scorer this season. So they don't score many goals anyway, and there's not many of them getting them. So that that obviously is the problem for them. We said it loads of times anyway that they don't score many goals but they did offer a lot of goal threat i would say in this game if you if you like your your xgs or whatever i probably would suggest that it would have been high ish for this game uh, higher than maybe usual but um yeah i, I think there wasn't a bad point really for them in the end um but anyway thank you gary for your question hopefully bielefeld uh will survive but not of course, at the misfortune of Stuttgart, because I love <laughs> Stuttgart too much. Um, anyway, over to Dan's question that's come in. Uh, so, Dan, hope you're doing well as well. He's asked on another game, <clears throat> sorry, uh, do you think the 3-0 scoreline flattered minds? Uh, obviously referring to the 3-0 win over Wolfsburg. Um, Mark, what do you reckon? Did, did it flatter them? I think um, I, when we were talking on, on the show, um, obviously regarding Stuttgart beating minds, I said, I'm sure that mines will bounce back very soon, and lo and behold, they did. So it wasn't a shock to me. Um, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think I think when I I would say yeah, the scoreline probably did flatter them. When I saw your question, Dan, I actually had a quick look at the expected goals, and like mines were expected to get only 1.1 goal to uh, Wolfsburg's one. But I mean, obviously, expected goals only tell you part of the story. At the end of the day, if you're Wolfsburg and you're giving Mainz a two-goal lead inside five minutes, you know, you're asking for trouble because Mainz, for me, are one of the best defensive sides in the Bundesliga. And I think when you can when you can give them that luxury of knowing that they can just like take it easy and like be a little bit more cautious, you know, which they were for the rest of the game, I think you're asking for trouble against a side like Mainz, you know, and I yeah. think it was poor game management for Wolfsburg to start off the game so slowly. And I think really they, they deserve to lose, but yeah, I'd say three nil probably you can't argue that it probably flattered them a little bit. Yeah. 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 Well, it was a big win for them. Good, good that they bounced back Two teams that are now starting. Well, have kind of switched around a little bit. Cause if you look at the table, mines have scored 20 and only conceded 14, whereas Wolfsburg have scored 15 and conceded 20. So it's a bit of a kind of flip reverse of what, of what the fortunes are um, regarding both teams and how you'd expect that really solid base of Wolfsburg to be the team that's only conceded 14 goals because they're so good last season at doing that, shutting out teams and, and getting those wins. But it's gone missing this season. So I yeah, mean, I think knows? one of the problems for Wolfsburg has been uh, has been um, Lacroix. Like his performance has plummeted basically. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I think yeah. he's been extremely poor this season, Lacroix. And I think he's had two red cards. He's mm -hmm. given two penalties away and scored an own goal, I think, yeah, already yeah. this season. It's just the season just not kicked off for him. I mean, I mean, also for Castiles, I mean, I know he missed um, the last couple of games through uh, COVID, but I mean, he's not been the same level as what he was the, the season before, that's for sure. Agreed. Uh, a couple more questions, so we'll just fire through these as well. Uh, obviously, as we want to prioritise you guys and make sure we answer your questions. So, Steve, again, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, so, your question is, uh, what is the lowest records uh, points finish in the Bundesliga? And do you think that Greuther Fürth will beat it? So this is actually something we covered um, on one of our shows probably about a month ago, give or take. Um, and it was basically, will, will Greuther Fürth beat the lowest <laughs> points records uh, in the Bundesliga? And we kind of went around the, uh, well, me and Mark, and I think it was the week that we had Moritz uh, yeah, was, on, yeah. on the show. And, and we kind of all kind of said our, 
our piece on it. Um, I'm not. Sure, I can't remember exactly what everyone said. I'm pretty sure I said that they won't beat it. Um, I think was it eleven points the lowest. Ten. It was ten. ten. Right. Okay. And that was set by, of course, the the famous Tasmania Berlin, uh, who obviously came up to the Bundesliga and weren't very successful. Um, so right now, I'm sticking with my guns. I can't see them beating it. Um, Mark, quickly, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think I said at the time they beat it by one point, so I said they'd get 11. But, I mean, right. it's just not getting better. And defensively, they're absolutely like, I mean, I was actually talking to someone who's a third fan about their fortunes at the minute, and he said that they, they did lose a few players from last season. Like They had a few good loanees and a few good um, guys in there. And also they've got injuries at the minute, especially defensively. And it shows, to be honest, because yeah. some of the goals they're conceding are just amateur, basically. And mm. I think unless you can sort out the defence and, you know, maybe even work a little bit harder at times, I just can't see them breaking it at the minute. Yeah, Leverkusen didn't really have to work incredibly hard for many of their seven goals, did they? Um, Righty-ho, uh, Chris uh, has asked, uh, are we going to do another show with two Bundesliga or Spider Bundesliga podcast? Uh, as um, Chris enjoyed that show. Um, so... Uh, to answer it uh, simply, Chris, yes, we will do. We, we absolutely love doing that show with the Spider Bundesliga podcast guys. Um, so, yeah, with Ava and, and Matthew. So that's on our list. We're not entirely sure when we're going to do it. Um, if, we, if we can fit one in in the next month or so and kind of do a halfway report, then we will. But if not, we'll definitely do one before the end of the season to to have a look at the teams that might be coming up because it'd be really – it's an, another really exciting – title race in, in the Spider Bundesliga. Mark Mark's team have got a penny in the race as well, and uh, of course. Um, so, fingers crossed for Nuremberg, uh, and fingers crossed to see some more new teams in the Bundesliga, because it really keeps a, you know, a real refreshed look to the league. So, absolutely, yes, we will do that. Um, and John, evening to you, John. Uh, just very quickly, glad that you're enjoying the show. Um, and yes, the Derby Day dive-ins are coming and they're coming this month. So keep your eyes peeled for them. Um, obviously, we'll put it out on Twitter um, when they'll come out again, probably in around the winter break to to make sure that we've got things going on. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be doing at least two or three of them will come out in the next month or so. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll try and get through as, as much as possible. But yeah, we really enjoy doing them, particularly looking back at the history in behind those rivalries, particularly the Derby diving. So glad you enjoy those and there'll be a good few coming your way very soon. Um, so I think that fends off all the questions for now. So if any more come in, we'll go on, we'll go over to them. So Mark, back over to you and let's continue the countdown. Yeah, so let's swiftly move on to game number three. I mean, this was billed as a relegation dogfight, but I'm not sure really whether you can call Bolham relegation fighters at the minute with the way they're playing. You know, I mean, they're up to 10th of them all. I think they're only a point away from the top half. I mean, what a season they're having. I mean, I think we had Moritz on, what was it, about a month ago now? And he said he was happy with them then, but I think they've won another three games since then. Mm. So, I mean, he must be absolutely sky high. I mean, if you're watching Moritz, let us know how it's going. But, yeah, this was another great result for them. You know, only the second away win of the season. They've been mostly based on the home form. But, I mean, yeah, the sixth win overall already in 14 games. Great effort for a promoted side, you know, mm -hmm. but... I mean, yeah, the game started off, you know, it was actually quite a good goal. I mean, we, we were asking for him a few weeks ago, weren't we? Bochum's Messi, as the German commentator called him, Gerrit Holtman. Yeah, he had a really good game in this match and he turned supplier for the first goal with a really, really nice ball through to that man, Sebastian Polter. I mean, he, he's had a bit of stick, to be honest, for a lot of his performances early on in the season. But the last couple of games, he's showing that maybe he is... Um, a good replacement for Simon Zoller, who obviously mm -hmm. got that horrible ACL injury when he was on form. That yeah. was for 1-0. Then, yeah, I mean, the second goal as well was a little bit, um, yeah, it was a, a poor clearance from a corner, but a brilliant finish from that man, the Bolkan Messi, Gary oh, Holman. I mean, what a finish this was. It was like kind of bouncing down and he just side-footed it, like curled it round the keeper and in for 2-0. I mean, mm -hmm. What a what a start! And then again, it got even better before um, before long as well for Bolkham. They went three 0 up, didn't they? Through this Simon Sol uh, not Simon Soller, I'm saying him. Sebastian Polter header straight from a uh, Edward Leuven, uh, former Nuremberg guy, by the way. His corner. And it's already three 0 at half time, isn't it for Bolkham? But then 
let's be honest, the second half, Rory showed that Bolcom aren't quite the finished article yet. No, far from. I think it would have been, um, you know, silly to assume that Augsburg were just going to give up because I think one thing that we've seen from them, you know, characteristically is that they don't always, you know, they don't throw in the towel and they do, you know, they scrap through games and that's often why they've picked up so many big results, you know, obviously including the the win over Bayern in, in the last few weeks. So, they came back into it, um, you know, like Caliguri was leading um, leading the fight back. Uh, Gregorisic as well um, came on as a sub, actually. Um, so he he had a good impact on the game. So I think they got, obviously, they got back into it again from a set piece. So obviously lots of uh, set piece goals in this game. And when they went three, when it went to three, one, about 60 seconds later, um, another substitute, Moverek, um, skied a chance from inside the box, uh, which is really good work. Uh, I think it was Ruben Vargas actually who managed to cut the ball yeah. back. And yeah, if he scores that 3 2, and that was only on about 56, seven minutes, I think, around about there. So lots of time to go. That might have been a different question. And, and after that, they managed to hold on for a little while longer, um, before the second goal did come. And then they, um, which uh, was a penalty. Um, bit of a weird one that pe- uh, the penalty given uh, for me because obviously the defenders getting up early to try and make the to uh, get the header and it kind of rolls over the striker and it ends up being a penalty. I can't quite make my mind up on that one. Um, I don't know what you thought about that, Mark. But obviously, it, le- it led to their second goal. Um, I, th- yeah, I, I think, I it think was- it's one of them. I think if it was in the Premier League, maybe they wouldn't have given it. But in the Bundesliga, I think it is a penalty ultimately. Yeah. I think like yeah. It's uh, he yes, over the top and he kind of knocked him over as he was about to get the ball, I guess. But yeah, it was yeah, a, a strange situation. He kind of jumped too high. That was his problem, basically. Yeah, it was a bit of a strange one. But yeah, they, <laughs> they held out really well. Um, so Augsburg will take something from that second half performance. They'll be worried at the ease at which Balkan scored their goals. So first goal, like you said, um, Polter was put through, but it's from losing the ball in midfield. And again, a really high defensive line, like we saw with Herter. And and they just played straight through it, and there was lots of room for Polter to go through on goal. And then the next two are set pieces. Um, Garrett Holman, like you say, Bulk and Messi reminds me of one of those players where you see on FIFA, and they say like has star quality or you know has special talent or something because he just he can just sometimes produce something out of nothing, and, yeah. and that's really valuable to have. Um, whether he turns up consistently or sometimes <laughs> another question, but yeah, really good strike actually for that second goal. So. They were able to hold on and, and Balkan, you know, doing a fine, fine job. They really are. Um, and they're looking more and more settled in, in the Bundesliga as time goes on. And, and like you said, they're, you know, they, they're not really in the conversation at the moment with regards to relegation. Uh, obviously, you know, as a team and as a fan of Balkan, you're probably thinking we're just concentrating game by game and we just want to stay in the league. Right, obviously, and that is the aim. Of course, it would be especially when you've got the likes of Leipzig, Frankfurt and Gladbach all only one point behind you. So that could be a quick swing if they pick up results and then all of a sudden you're back in 13th, 14th. So, you know, they're doing a fantastic job and long may that continue. Yeah, I think it's a tough one because, as you say, they're only actually six points clear of Augsburg. So it proves what a big win that was actually over yeah. Augsburg because they could have been joint on points still. So mm-hmm. even though Bolcom's position does look good, 19 points from 14 games is very, very good for a newly promoted side. But it can quickly change, you know, two, three defeats in a row and they can be right back down. Because for me, Augsburg, they, they are fighting very, very hard. I mean, for what they lack in quality at times. And let's be honest, they did have defensive injuries as well. Reese Oxford got injured, which is very yeah. unfortunate because he was starting to really put a good run of form together. But I mean, yeah, for what they lack in quality at times, they're doing OK, Augsburg, you know. And this is a poor result for them. But before that, they put a really good run together. So you never, you can never count them out. Oh, that's for sure. Okay, so let's move swiftly on to another 3-2 game. Yeah, I mean, this was a game with two sides really, really hot in form going into mm-hmm. this one. Frankfurt put together three straight wins, four in all competitions, if you include the Europa League. And Hoffenheim went into the back of this like with the first back-to-back wins. But we know that they've been playing well for most of the season, really, on and off. But they seem to be starting to put a bit more form together. But... I mean, this one was played pretty much behind closed doors as well because in Baden-Württemberg they have uh, the restrictions. I think there were like 700 fans allowed to enter the stadium or something. I'm not even sure what the point in really allowing 700. Yeah, I don't see any point in that. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it kind of sums up the way that Germany's dealt with the COVID pandemic at times. So that's a debate for another day, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, good game, you know. I mean, Frankfurt started off absolutely brilliantly, didn't they? I mean, that man, Bore, he just can't quite get the goals at times. He missed a couple of good chances, but eventually it did come good for him, didn't it? And he got the goal to put them 1-0 up. And they're absolutely dominating at this point, aren't they? I mean, Frankfurt could be three up, in all honesty, inside the first uh, 20, 30 minutes. But then pretty much on Hoffenheim's first attack, it's laid off to that man, Dennis Geiger. And what a hit. This is a brilliant strike, you know. Yeah. You can see this is a man, this is a side that are playing with confidence because when, when the confidence isn't good, they don't go in for you, do they, basically? Mm -hmm. And Dennis Geiger smacks an absolute beauty past Kevin Trapp in the net. And that just seemed to basically get them going, didn't it, Offenheim? And then by half an hour, they were 2-1 up. And it was a brilliant move, this one, actually. A really, really good play from the likes of uh, Samaseku, who's starting to do really well as well. The yeah. pronunciation of his name probably isn't quite so good. But also Bebu, since he came back from injury, he's been really, really good. <laughs> he's been brilliant. Fantastic, yeah. And yeah. he's really trying to kind of put together a run of form. Bear in mind that Hoffenheim were without Kramerich as well from the start in this game. So, you know, give them credit for that. But then, yeah, the, the goal itself is, it is a mistake really from Kevin Trapp, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, and he kind of drops the ball it's a good, really, really good build-up play from Hoffenheim, but he drops the ball straight in front of that man, the man of the moment, Jorginho Ruta, who you're not going to give him a second chance at the moment, are you? And he, I mean, he doesn't do it easily, but he just about finds a net over the head of the defender and the 2-1 up all of a sudden at half-time, Rory. Yeah, they are. Um, so, as you mentioned, the homegrown talent, the man, um, Geiger, with a brilliant goal. Um, and that put Hoffenheim on the right track, didn't it? Um, and I'll, like you say, I was going to mention Trap. you know, makes an error really for that goal for Ruta because he, he makes the save uh, from Beibu and it goes straight into the middle of the goal. Uh, and obviously that can happen where it falls to a striker. Um, and then, yeah, going into the second half, um, Hoffenheim came out and, you know, they did did what they needed to do. Um, eventually, they kind of got that third goal, which in effect uh, finished the match uh, as a contest. But um, obviously, there's some more good work from Beibu, which found Samaseku um, or Samaseku, uh, depending on which way you want to pronounce it, as you mentioned, Mark. Um, and his effort was quite horribly deflected just past trap in there he wasn't having a great afternoon his luck didn't hold out as well either um, as he just squirmed past him basically so that was 3-1 um yeah Fra frankfurt did their best to get back into it and they did get a second goal and, and if we're talking about good goals the, this bit of individual brilliance from from the sub who's um got a couple of important goals for frankfurt particularly in europe actually um so Pacienza um, got, got the ball from the Kostic cross, brought it down on his chest, strong enough to hold off the defender and just turns and wallops it first time on the volley into the top, well, top corner or high into the net um, to make it 3-2 and, and give Frankfurt a fighting chance again, the point which unfortunately they weren't able to quite claw back. Um, but yeah, it was a fantastic game of football, showed that both teams were high on confidence. Um, Hoffenheim at home are real a real prospect and will, you know, will go at any team. You, you know, you've seen that, um, particularly on those Friday night games where they had a really great atmosphere. Unfortunately, now we can't see that, obviously, because of what's, what's happening um, with COVID. So maybe that will start to throw up some some more kind of strange results and maybe teams that will go away from home will feel a bit more comfortable. Um, we'll maybe see how that goes in the next few weeks, I guess. But, yeah, really important um, win for Hoffenheim to continue that. Um, well, amazing rise up the table because they now sit um, in fifth place. Probably one of the biggest winners in terms of results, uh, Hoffenheim, in the last couple of weeks because things have gone really in their path and, and they've flown up the league, really, um, and are starting to look a real prospect. Um, if they can hold on to Europe, they'll be absolutely thrilled. Um, but we'll have to see if that consistency can sit. Frankfurt, you know, they've got themselves a couple of decent results, but um, unfortunately that momentum has has you know stumbled a little bit, stalled. Uh, be interesting to see how well they respond to this because you know they're only a win away from, <laughs> amazingly, they're only a win away from being in seventh place where Mines are, and we talk about how well Mines have done this season. So you know they're not that far off, and if they keep on playing the way they are performance wise, they'll not be too far off. 
Yeah, I think the key for Hoffenheim is just the goal scoring, you know, 30 goals in 14 games. I mean, they just create, they've got so many forwards playing well. And like literally Cramerich hasn't even played the last two games and they've scored nine goals in those two games. You know, admittedly, six of them were against third, but still you need to score those goals. And they've been scoring goals all season, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've got five past Köln destroyed Leipzig a few weeks ago, although they only got two goals in that game. But still, I mean, you've got a lot of potential in that side. And I've been thinking for a few weeks now, this is a really, really good team on paper, you know. And yep. especially now they've finally got the fullback sorted with David Raum on the left side and Akpaguma on the right. I mean, they look a really good partnership. And yeah, I think yeah. last season, they were very, very poor at fullback, weren't they? Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the problems. And... Do you know what I mean? They were conceding a lot of goals from fullback positions and poor fullback play and also poor defensive play, which still isn't perfect. You know, 22 goals conceded in four, 14 games is still too many, really, if you want to be getting Champions League places. But, you know, if they keep on scoring, the fans are entertained and everyone's happy, really, at the moment in Hoffenheim, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, just before we go on to game one uh, of the countdown, Dan, just to answer your questions, um, Really like your suggestion, actually, about doing a video on the, the most unpopular clubs in Germany, um, including uh, uh, possibly RB Leipzig and Co. So we can see if we can work up, uh, work something up and, yeah, kind of delve into the history of why why these teams are so hated um, or not so popular. Um, and then, obviously, you kind of referred to Hoffenheim a little bit there and we had, uh, obviously, one of our guests on as a Hoffenheim fan recently, kind of fielded a few of those sort of questions. But Mark, do you want to just quickly refer to the little bit about why Hoffenheim are also slightly unpopular in terms of German uh, Bundesliga kind of stakes? Yeah, you're pretty much right, Dan, with what you say. Yeah, it is because of the SAP owners, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I think from an English perspective, we can't really understand why they're so hated because of this. But basically, like in Germany, they like the football to be very like it's for the purists, if you know what I mean. Like they like big traditional clubs who are put together by working class guys. Like you like to Werder Bremen, Schalke, Borussia Dortmund. The, the likes of these teams are the ones that people want to see. You know, even FC Nuremberg, my own team, you know, like everyone wants to see these kind of teams in the Bundesliga. And a lot of people think that Hoffenheim, bear in mind that Hoffenheim is a village as well. You have to remember, yeah. I think I mentioned a few times, Hoffenheim is literally a village. So think about your local village near where you live. And that's what Hoffenheim is, basically. You know, it's a village of like 2,000 people. That's all. So think about your local village in, in the Premier League and see what people would think about it. And literally, Dietmar Hopp, the owner of the uh, software giants SAP, which is based near to the, uh, the company, actually, near to the, the club. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Basically, he used to play for Hoffenheim as a semi-pro when he was uh, a young guy. Like, really, I mean, he's about 80 years old now, Dietmar Hopp. And he, he thought when he got rich, basically, he thought, you know, almost like a football manager style story, really. Just pump a load of money into, like, what was then an amateur team in, like, I think the ninth division of German football, you know. And he just kept getting them up and up. And actually, with the help of uh, Man United's new manager, Ralph Rangnick as well, he was like the one that kind of like really pushed them forward a lot. Yeah, yeah but before long, they were in the Bundesliga. And obviously, since then, they've gone on to play in the Champions League as well. So it's very much like a story, which I think there's no other story in a top European league that I can think of really like Hoffenheim's, you know. So it's very much like a FIFA slash football manager style story, really. Mm -hmm. As a result, a lot of German fans just think, you know, they have no place in the Bundesliga ahead of the likes of Werder Bremen, um, so, um, uh, Schalke, you know, Nuremberg, Fortuna Dusseldorf and the likes, you know. So, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, that's basically a brief reason why they're not so popular. Very good stuff. And, yeah, let's finish our countdown then, shall we? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so, I mean, no better place to finish, you know. I mean, it was always going to win this week, wasn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, it was that the first Der Klassiker of the season, which ended in a 3-2 win for Bayern Munich in Dortmund. I mean, but that doesn't really tell half the story, let's be honest. You know, I mean, the, the game started off absolutely brilliantly for BVB, who obviously came in on the back of six straight defeats to Bayern in all competitions. They were hoping to end that. They went in the game 1-0, Sorry, they went into the game only one point behind Bayern, so they knew that a win would have taken them above Bayern, and they'd probably have been happy with a draw, let's be honest, before the start, really. 
Julian Brandt, he's been criticised a little bit, hasn't he? But he scored a really, really good opening goal. He kind of skinned the defender and bent a beautiful shot around Neuer for 1-0. And you know, you know what I mean? They start off really, really well. The pressing, buying heavily. Bayern are struggling to get a foothold. But then it's that man, isn't it? a man that I've criticised a lot over the time we've been doing this show. It's that man, Emery Can. Uh, Chan, I should say. Yeah, it's uh, Emre Jan, as they call him here in Germany, and the correct way of pronouncing his name. But he he played a horrible pass, didn't he? Basically, across the, the to Thomas Muller, who then kind of like just uh, played the ball through to Lewandowski, who beautifully side footed in past uh, Kovel, who went on to have a really good game, by the way, Kovel. But yeah, for one one, the man who should have won Ballon d'Or. Let's be honest. Yeah, we should have a. As far as I'm concerned, I don't care what anyone says, but we should have a Bundesliga Ballon d'Or. But yeah, he he scores past his former club for 1-1. Then, I mean, the, the most of the first half is just complete dominance, really, by... Uh, uh, ...gone in ahead before they actually did, really, I would say. Sorry, you just cut up a little bit there, Mark. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, I was just saying, I think Bayern just completely dominated the rest of the first half, and I think they should have gone at it ahead before they did, really. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think um, I didn't really see much of Haaland, obviously, other than uh, I think he had one chance where he kind of just put it past the post. Um, and other than that, it was very much Bayern who, who got on the front foot. Um, I think, yeah, there's lots of unfortunate mistakes again um from from this Dortmund team which which led to goals and uh, we kind of refer to it as saying that if Dortmund play well they'll have a chance they'll score goals of course they will but they have to play a perfect game in the fact that their defense has to be on form they have to block everything they have to clear everything but instead they passed you know, passed it into Thomas Muller on the halfway line, or they smashed clearances into each other's stomachs, which happened for the second goal. So Guerrero from across just hammers it into Hummels and it bounces kindly uh, eventually for Coman and he sticks it in to make it 2-1. Um, and that's obviously half-time. We said, I kind of remember saying this last season and said, said it a lot of times referring to Bayern. But in the big games, they often get goals at the right time and uh, you know, lo and behold, again they go in, go in um, two and up. And I know Dortmund got the equaliser quite soon in the second half, but still for me, that mental kind of thing about them always being able to do it at the right time. Um, and obviously, lo and behold, they did that. Um, and again, some poor defending actually led to the the Dortmund equaliser. I think it was Upa Meccano who didn't yeah. clear his lines properly, uh, and it fell to Bellingham who set up his mate. Uh, Mr. Erling Haaland, who had a, another say in a big game, lovely curling effort past Neuer, was never getting anywhere near it, uh, which made it 2 2. Uh, again, the game was frantic, it was, you know, it was a lot more end to end. And um, unfortunately, VAR had to have uh, a bit of a say in the outcome of the game. It was such a shame with such an exciting end to end game. And obviously, obviously, looking at the the Mats Hummels handball, which leads to uh, a VAR check, which then is a penalty. Um, and, and Lewandowski, of course, does the rest. And that ends up being the match uh, match winning contribution. Um, you know, a real kind of um, displeasure in the Dortmund ranks. I think obviously Marco Rosa got sent off with two yellow cards as a manager. I don't know how you do that, but just by obviously um, voicing his frustrations. He got sent off uh, towards the end. And um, yeah, the result, you know, had a real bad taste in the mouth, particularly for a Dortmund team um, who felt scorned by VAR um, and probably scorned by their own defenders' performances, I guess. And and unfortunately, our, um, our English young man, in the shape of Jude Bellingham, might have got himself in a bit of hot water, uh, it would seem, because... If you've not seen it already, um, he gets interviewed after the game and, and basically refers back to the referee and, and how this referee in particular, I forget his name, um, was um, was found to have uh, done or been involved in match fixing many, many years back. Um, uh, and obviously then kind of says, you can see the links, you know, match fixing, stuff like this, basically inferring that the, that the referee cheated. Um, so now it looks like he could get himself a, I don't know, a slap on the wrist, and you know, a couple of match ban. I'm not sure exactly what will happen. Um, 
so you might know more than this than me, Mark, in terms of how the Bundesliga might approach this sort of kind of behaviour from Bellingham and, and whether he might be in a you know a bit of trouble. Yeah, I think at the moment there's like talk from both ways. Some people are saying like he's still a very young guy and he should be let off, you know. But I mean, also, yeah, I would imagine he will get some kind of punishment, but it's, it's unclear what it's going to be at the moment. I think in England, they come down harder usually on those kind of things than they do probably in Germany. I think in Germany, they might give him the benefit of the doubt because he's a young guy and he's annoyed, you know. But the way he said it, you've got to remember it as well. He doesn't speak German, so it might not come across quite as badly to the in the, uh, the in the German press, although most Germans do speak a good level of English in most cases. Yeah. So, yes. But I mean, that might save him possibly a little bit. But I would imagine he, he might just get a fine or something like that. I, I think, yeah. It's, uh, but to be honest, from his point of view, I'm not really sure he's got a leg to stand on, though, to be honest, because I think it was a penalty, actually. Mm. I really do. I read a lot of reports. I didn't watch this game live, unfortunately, because I, I was otherwise engaged. But I mean, I thought when I first read it, I thought it was going to be one of those joke handballs where he's not even looking at the ball and he gives a penalty, but he's not. He's looking right to the ball, basically, mm. you know, and he deflects yeah. the ball out with his elbow. For me, it's just yet more poor defending from Mats Hummels, who is a player for me who's just not quite good enough for this level anymore, I'm afraid. It's, uh, I mean, he had another poor game for me, Hummels, which he always seems to do against Bayern nowadays, doesn't he? Yeah. And I think him and Emre Jan just cost him the game, basically. You know, I mean, as Rory said, you can't be giving all three goals where he would have been easily avoided in this game for Bayern. Yeah. It, you can't, I mean, although I do think Bayern were probably the better team throughout it, but Koble had a really good game. He made some really good saves, mm -hmm. but. You can't be giving goals away like that. You know, it's just too poor. And Dortmund, despite scoring two really, really good goals, ultimately end up losing the game, you know, and it's just uh, disappointing, really. But Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, obviously, we're taking a bit more time than we usually would because it was such a big weekend in the Bundesliga. Yeah. We've done some question answering as well. So let's move on to um, the Bundesliga boxes talking point of the week. Um, and, yeah, we're going topical this week uh, as it's kind of fresh news basically in the fact that Jesse Marsh has lost his job at RB Leipzig. So what went wrong and who, you know, who or what can save RB Leipzig's season? Um, so yeah, at the moment RB Leipzig sitting in, um, I think they're sitting in 11th place. Yeah. 11th place with 18 points, you know, six losses, three draws. Um, so the three losses on the bounce was, you know, too much. And, and as a result, Jesse Marsh lost his job. Um, Firstly, then, Mark, I'll, I'll ask this to you and then we can kind of bounce it off each other. Um, what, what do you reckon was wrong with the appointment of Jesse Marsh? Just not not enough experience or? Yeah, I think that was one of the main things. Yeah, obviously, his, his, his main experience, he was New York Red Bulls manager. And then, obviously, he kind of continued his career in the Red Bull, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, society, yeah. so to speak. Obviously, going to Salzburg. I mean, he is, I think his dad is German, actually. So, he does speak pretty decent German, you know. Not like perfect, but he's got a decent, he can do match interviews and things in German. So, you know, he's got that under his belt. But, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, the American League and the Austrian Bundesliga, I mean, are nowhere near the level of the, of the German Bundesliga, you know. Yeah. And I just think, um, yeah, it could have been a level of, like, he just wasn't used to this level of football. Also, I think the fact that he lost key players to, you know, Sabitzu was like their kind of, like, he was their talisman one. He was their key midfielder. And obviously, Apamecano, who was like probably the best defender in the Bundesliga last year, or at least in the top two or three defenders in the Bundesliga. You know, obviously, they've lost them. They lost, he lost his whole... Leipzig lost their entire backroom staff to Bayern as well. So they didn't have anyone really in there to kind of guide Jesse Marsh through it. He brought his backroom staff from, from Salzburg and... I just think, to be honest, on paper, I thought they made good signings. I was actually, I mean, I was actually quite happy with their signings on paper. They brought in a few interesting players like Gvardiol from uh, Zagreb, who had a good Euros. I thought Andre Silva, I mean, I think both of us said he was going to be the big sign of the season, but the guy has just been shocking, basically. You know, he's been so poor. I watched the game that they played against Union the other week, and he missed a great chance at 2-1, you know, and he, he's just not playing well enough, you know. And Managers rely on the best strikers, really, to pull them through games, and he's not done that often enough. But I think also tactically, you know, the likes of Angelino haven't been as good this season. He's 
he's not getting the most out of his fullbacks, which is something that Nagelsmann did really, really well last season and pretty much during his entire spell in Leipzig. So, yeah, there's been a number of reasons, really, I think. Yeah, I think lots of good points you make there. Um, yeah, they've been very inconsistent. They've been terrible on the road. They've not won away uh, all season in, in any of their seven away games so far. Um yeah, I think as you mentioned, losing obviously you losing Nagelsmann was a huge blow, but losing the entire kind of backroom staff and losing that um, you know, kind of experience, it was, you know, particularly um devastating for them. Um so it, weird one to ask though, obviously without Nkunku's good form, God I'd hate to think where they'd be really in the league and in the Champions League. Like he has completely carried them. Yeah. Um, one statistic that stood out to me under Marsh's reign as well was there was 40, so 4-0 lineup changes um, so far this season. So that's in the space of 14 games. So on average, you know, it's, it's probably well over three changes a game um, from match week to match week. So obviously there was never a settled team. Naturally speaking, there will be injuries that mean that you have to change the team a little bit. But that just screams to me that he didn't know his best team, really. Uh, and he had to, with the fact that, as you mentioned, Andre Silva hasn't really worked out. He's had to change his his front line a lot, the the formation around him as well. Uh, Sabozlai has come in and out of the team. Yeah. Uh, Forsberg. Um, the, obviously, like I said, the one consistent player has been Nkunku. So, yeah, very unfortunate thing to see a manager lose his job after not many games, especially someone who's fresh to the Bundesliga and would have had a real ambition to do well with the club. Um, So, yeah, I think that's probably a good few reasons why it maybe didn't happen for him. Um, So, Mark, very quickly, we'll just say, you know, what what can save RB Leipzig season? You know, they've got got talent. Is is it just about, (laughs) I hate this word interim manager because my team, Man United, do it uh, with great regularity, it seems. Um, But some an experienced head maybe till the end of the season just to try and rescue something to be honest no i'm not really a fan of that whole interim manager and i think regarding the man united i think it's just uh, i think the, if he does well they'll give him it on a full time i think i think the often clubs use the word interim to kind of justify quite like appointments that might not please the fans, basically. Do you understand? Yeah. yeah. But it seems as though the the Rangnick appointment at Man United has gone down really well with the fans. But I guess the board yeah. might have thought, you know, he's not the most famous name in football, yeah. so maybe the fans might not be happy. But I think Leipzig will look for a full time uh, improve. Uh, uh, manager, to be honest, yeah, on a oh. permanent contract. I think from what from what someone told me, they're actually looking for the assistant manager of uh, Ten Hag at Ajax, actually. But he apparently yeah. declined the job. He was the one, the first choice, but he's apparently um, declined the job from what from right. what I've been told. Yeah, so I'm not sure who they're looking at now, but I mean, there's obviously names out there. Leipzig have got the money, you know. Although yeah. apparently they lost a fortune on Marsh as well. Someone right. was telling me today that they lost really a lot of cash, like right. I think up to 50 million euros on Marsh overall, wow. uh, including the sacking as well. You know, the compensation they had to pay out for him. So. Yeah, obviously, they're not going to be happy about that. But, I mean, I guess they had to do it because it was just a poor appointment, basically. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it? It, yeah. I don't know who they're going to go in for. I mean, there's, there's names out there, you know, but I reckon they might pull someone out a little bit uh, left field, so to speak. Interesting. Well, the, the left field appointment was basically... Well, I say left field appointment because not many people had heard of Marsh, but he, like you said, he was brought through yeah. the, the, like the RB Academy, so to speak, through the American team. Uh, and then through Salzburg and then into Leipzig in kind of natural progression, but sometimes that just doesn't work out. Um, but anyway, that's that's a good place to leave it. Um, been a brilliant show, lots and lots of things to cover. Um, thanks everyone for your questions. Uh, really enjoyable show to do tonight. Uh, the Bundesliga just, you know, always something to talk about, always something going on. So really enjoyable show again. So Mark, let's uh, let's close up the show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, if you enjoyed what you saw, follow our Twitter stream as well at Over the Bar FE and at Over the Bar Extra. We've got loads of stuff uh, coming out on there. Also, our shows also go out live on, on Twitter as well nowadays. So, yeah, you can you can watch us on there. But, yeah, remember, it would also help if you kind of like um, subscribe to the YouTube as well, because that kind of helps our algorithm and things like that. 
so yeah remember to like comment and subscribe on on our stuff and also yeah of course um visit the the main website which is otbfootball.net which has got just about everything uh that we produce here also articles remember to check out the league one and league two show as well because that's always good i think that's every i think league one is every wednesday and league two is every thursday yeah, and I guess we will see you again on Thursday for the predictions and fantasy football ahead of week 15. So, yeah, thanks a lot for joining us, guys. It's been a great show. See you next time. Cheers, all.